the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, my name's Richard Moore, and I'm joined by Daniel Freib. Daniele Freiberencini. Oh, it starts. Still too early. So it begins. Well, look at me, Daniel. I'm all uh, decked out already, ready for the Giro. I'm wearing my accreditation from the last one, all but all of six months ago. You're already in character with a pink casket. Cycling podcast casket. Mine finally arrived in the post. Yes, thank you for that, Lionel. Um, Sadly, Lionel uh, can't join us this week. He's unavailable for selection, but... It's kind of appropriate in a way because you and I are setting off on our own initially to the Giro, aren't we? Yes, Daniel, we are. At the nervously, very nervously. Um, without, are you nervous? Without, well, without Lionel there to guide us, late change of race program this year for Lionel, COVID enforced largely. Well, yeah, largely. I mean, if you read our 1101 Cappuccino uh, last week, that's the newsletter. Uh, Lionel wrote a, a long essay in there about his his race program for the year. He's got a, a different type of adventure coming up after the Giro, um, but uh, yeah, refer back to last week's eleven oh one cappuccino. Um, we're going to mainly be looking ahead to the the Giro in this week's episode. We're going to hear from Francois Tomaso, who will be joining us at the Giro, and of course Chiro Scogna Emilio, and no no Chiro no Giro. So Chiro will be there throughout. Um, we're going to hear from John Foote again, aren't we? Who will be a familiar voice to those who listened to our Giro last year. Top scholar on all things Italian and modern Italian history. My former Italian professor, one of them. One of that, Just one of his claims to fame. That Maybe that's the main one, perhaps. Um, so we'll also uh, look back on the Tour de Romandy as well. We'll have lots of, there'll be lots of news throughout this episode about um, the Giro and our coverage of it. And well, you'll have heard in the opener there, a new name. Uh, a new title sponsor for the Cycling Podcast and we'll tell you a little bit more about them um, a bit later on as well but we're very very grateful to Super Sapiens for coming on board just in time for the Giro or Giro Vagando as we are calling our Giro coverage can you explain a bit about that Daniel? Giro Vagando exactly Richard excellent pronunciation already started very well on on that front Um, Giro Vagando it's a word which exists in the Italian language and it means sort of roaming strolling wandering flannering about um, in this case Italy that's what we'll be doing um, isn't it hopefully picking dandelions picking picking dandelions we have to find um, the well there isn't a a, a flanner, an obvious flanner in the peloton, but we will find one. But yep, we'll have to <laughs> we find will one. be finding we'll one. Who will find be Giro Vagando through Italy? Um, in addition, never to- mind Pedro de Charme, flanner of the peloton. That's a that's a a worthy title for somebody. Um, well, we'll get on to all that. I mean, looking forward to Giro Vagando. I'm going to keep saying it now that I've been uh, told that my pronunciation's acceptable. Uh, before we get on to that properly, though, we should do a news roundup. Um, obviously, in the absence of you're going to do it in his voice, extremely difficult. You're going to put on the voice? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it in his voice or, or even his style. It won't be quite as thorough. It'll be pretty, bish pretty bash breezy. Bish bash bosh. Tour de Romandy, uh, won by podcaster Geraint Thomas. The first world tour race ever to be won by a professional podcaster. One of our big, I'm being flipping. One of our big rivals. Huge rival. He's got there before us, winning a world tour race. Uh, no, he, but Geraint Thomas. Do you think? Sorry, do you think he was he was suitably affronted by 
well, this sort of running theme, this running gag we've got about him pop, him having won the same number of races or, or not quite any more as Pog, Tadej Pogacar. Um, he, of course, edged ahead last week, didn't he, win, by winning Liege-Bastogne-Liege. And now I think they're neck and neck again, I think, on, if I'm not mistaken, on 24 career victories. Neck and neck. One uh, slight tangent. We're on a tangent already. This is the absence of, of Lionel leaves us kind of... Uh, just uh, bobbing about on the ocean, but um, they are likely to be rivals at the Tour de France, Pogacar and Geraint Thomas and Primoz Roglic. And I wonder if you know, Thomas might go through the whole season without racing any of them before the Tour, um, such as the, such are the differences in their in their well, race programs this year. I, I doubt he'll be lining up in the Slovenian National Championships this year. <laughs> he's not. He's not planning to do that. I don't think. Not on his program. But a, a welcome win for Geraint Thomas, his first since the 2018 Tour de France. Uh, came close to uh, maybe putting his arms in there um, on the Queen stage, uh, but uh, in dreadful weather, in very cold and, and rainy weather, he was away with Mike Woods. And when he went to get out the saddle and uh, sprint for the line, his hand just slipped off the brake hood and down he went. And, uh, you know, that continued a, a theme of Garrett Thomas's career. Of course, his challenge for the Giro last year ended when he collided with a bidon in the neutralised zone. It's it's happened a lot to him. And uh, one thing that he's very good at, however, is, um, you know, when he gets over the disappointment, seeing the, the funny side. And um, he, he always takes these things with great humour. He also always... Talk, uh, stops to give an interview even after disaster has befallen him. So, that, have, um, that ever happened to you, Rich, in your distinguished cycling career? Um, what? Your hand slipping, off, hand the, slipping, off, slipping the off the brake was really, wasn't it? I mean, it, 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 all, it feels like it almost happens a lot. I mean, he had the excuse of having numb hands from the cold. Uh, so it, it was kind of, understa- even though it looked bizarre, it was kind of understandable. Am I right in thinking, tell me if this is still the case, but um, Campagnola breakhoods used to be a lot kind of rougher, coarser, probably less likely to slip on those than you were on Shimano, which used to be a lot more rubbery and smoother. That's maybe correct. And with the, the lack of cables now, there's there's perhaps more possibility for that. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, it was a very unfortunate incident for him. Michael Woods obviously won the stage. Other stages won by Peter Sagan, Sonny Colbrelli, Mark Soler. Um, Woods won the Queen stage as I've mentioned and then Remy Cavagna won the final time trial but Geraint Thomas ended up the winner overall uh, Richie Porte was second for an Ineos Grenadiers 1-2 uh, Fausto Masnada uh, was perhaps the surprise in third overall the current quickstep Italian who is going to the Giro so um, the signs are good for him um, he finished one second ahead of Mark Soler and Woods slipped to fifth overall Nairo Quintana won the three stage Vuelta Asturias Nairo Nairo Man is back. Uh, Antonio uh, Pedrero of Movistar was second. Pierre Latour of Total Direct Energy was third. The Seretizit Festival, Elsie Jacobs in Luxembourg, uh, that was won by Emma Norsgaard uh, of Movistar, 21-year-old Dane, um, national champion. She won two stages and she's been knocking on the door of a big win all year. And it was a tremendous performance by her in particular uh, the third stage where Trek Segafredo were really throwing everything they could at it and she rode a very good race to defend and then win the sprint in the end the Tour de Rwanda is ongoing 
There have been two stage wins for Alan Boileau of B&B Hotels um, after Brian Sanchez of Team Medellin won the opening stage. Highlights are on GCM Plus if you want to watch uh, a bit of the Tour of Rwanda, a, a race that a lot of us are familiar with but maybe haven't seen all that much of. Um, it's stepped up this year. Bigger teams, Israel Startup Nation are riding and David Lapartion is there, the UCI president. And there are rumours of an African World Championships, a first African World Championships in Rwanda in 2025. The final bit of news from the news roundup, and we'll be returning to this a bit later on, but there's a shark in the water. Vincenzo Nibali will start Did the Giro. Did you notice that Trek also used the Jaws music in there? Well, in, in one promo anyway that I saw for this piece of news that Nibali was going to the Giro and um, loyal long-time listeners will remember that we used that slightly nervously, didn't we, a few years ago. And we haven't, had a, we haven't had a, a lawyer's letter yet, but one could arrive at any moment. And um, both on our dormer and Trek Segafredo's. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Yes, welcome on board Super Sapiens, our new headline sponsor. We're very grateful indeed to them for coming in just in time for the Giro d'Italia. Iwaka were our previous headline sponsor for just over a year and we said goodbye to them a few weeks ago. So Super Sapiens are our new title sponsor. What is Super Sapiens? Well, you're going to be learning about that through the cycling podcast over the the coming period. Um, but with the Super Sapiens device, you can get insights into athletic fueling so you can make the right fueling choices to help you achieve your goals. It's being used already by Jumbo Visma, Ineos Grenadiers and Canyon SRAM, among others. Anna van der Breggen is also a user of a Super Sapiens device. And we're going to learn all about the origins of Super Sapiens, why it exists and how it works starting at the Giro. When we'll hear from Phil Sutherland, the driving force behind it, and also the driving force behind Team Novo Nordisk, the professional team composed entirely of diabetic riders. Phil himself was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at seven months, and yet he became a very good cyclist. And I suppose Super Sapiens represents a convergence of a lifetime of being a diabetic and constantly monitoring your glucose levels to stay stay alive and his life as a, an elite athlete. So we'll be learning a lot more about Super Sapiens for the duration of their title sponsorship of the Cycling Podcast. But for now, big thanks to them and welcome. And we'll be wearing our Super Sapiens devices. Daniel, if they arrive before the Giro, they're, they're en route um, and learning about... Um, how glucose affects performance for us. I thought, I don't know, I thought you running were, or podcasting. I thought you were already a self-declared super sapien, Rich. <laughs> of course, I'm not sure about of that. Of course, well, I'm not sure when, about that. When we first started talking to and about super sapiens, we we um, reflected on the fact that the, the phenomenon of bonking is, is sort of inching towards extinction, and super sapiens will no doubt help push it further towards extinction but of course around about this time last year rich we were gearing up for our giro and you were discussing one of the most famous bonks in living memory at the giro d'italia with cadell evans who 
who um, unfortunately succumbed to an, a very nasty bonk um, a couple of stages before the end of 2002 year, and that cost him the race, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, God, that was um, a year ago. Exactly right. It feels like longer, but um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, well, that episode's there if anybody wants to go back and listen to our Giro. Um, but Cadell Evans was very sort of expansive and, and open in that conversation, remembering that really formative event. One of the most open conversations about bonking you'll ever hear. <laughs> but yeah, certainly that's true. That's true. Yep. Well, we are going to talk mainly about the Giro. And as I said earlier, we're going to hear from Francois and Chiro um, and John Foote. But uh, Roman Day first, Daniel, um, it was a curious kind of race, a very kind of slightly muted, it felt, the first few days. Um, you got this beautiful backdrop of, of Switzerland. Um, but the racing felt, uh, we've been treated to such exciting racing this year. Um and it felt as if it had been dialed down ever so slightly. Yeah, it did, Rich. And as I did a few weeks ago, I'm going to promote a rival podcast, publication, vodcast. Um, well, Chris Horner, again, he comes up with some cracking observations and cracking points. And he he mentioned something which I never really considered with Romandy, that um, it's very much the start. It's a punctuation mark, really, in the season. Um, the classics guys are all sort of off on their holidays or about to go off on their holidays or off for a break. And the Grand Tour, well, the Tour de France riders are just sort of revving up, gearing up. And it doesn't really... Um, fulfill the role of a preparation race for the Giro anymore does it there were a couple of riders there were three or four riders who will probably be quite prominent in the Giro that were in Romandy but not that many so it's in a strange spot in the calendar isn't it and um, you, you sort of you felt that it felt like a bit of an, an interlull in the season it did a bit yeah and uh, not, not, not quite the same but you did feel a bit like in, in Catalonia that Ineos Grenadiers had quite a stranglehold on the race. I mean, Rowan Dennis initially was making noises about trying to defend the jersey. He he crashed. Um, it, you know, it wasn't quite as 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 um, smooth a, a ride or um, for Ineos Grenadiers as they might have liked it to have been, principally because of the weather. But it was interesting. I thought that in that dreadful weather on, on Saturday, that cold and the rain. Garrett Thomas emerged at the front. You know, he is a tough rider um, and he's not getting any younger. He had that huge setback at the the, the Giro last year. Um, and, you know, we do talk about the number of crashes that Garrett Thomas has had. And it is worth pointing out an awful lot of them are not. He's kind of blameless. I mean, the, the one at the Giro, certainly. The one on Saturday could really have happened to anybody. And I thought it was quite telling in his interview after the time trial that he was being told on the radio, you know, don't take any risks. Again, it was wet and there were, you know, the roads were quite slippy. And that was kind of uppermost in his thoughts because he was fastest through the first time check. You know, the stage win was possible. And he obviously throttled back a bit when he knew he'd done enough to win overall. But that thought of, you know, crashing and, and, you know, it must be in the front of his head all the time. And, And that's got to have some kind of impact on him. For, for, he's an easygoing guy, but you know there must there must be um, it must be quite a handicap for him to overcome. I would think now. Yeah, you would think there's some mental scar tissue there. I don't know about you, but I was quite anxious watching him in the final stage. Just as he he was sort of flirting with the white line in the middle of the road, and we'd seen a couple of guys go over on the white line earlier in the race, um, but he did he did throttle back, didn't he, um, mm. in the second half of the time trial, but. 
it was it was a good performance, a commanding performance, and again, Ineos, as you say, Rich, really sort of asphyxiating a a short stage race as they've done a couple of times already this year and we haven't really heard we we alluded to it at the start of the season that, that there might come a time this year where there might be some sort of murmurs not of discontent but among these well this whole glut of top stage races they've got on the team and um you know they're having at the moment some of them are having to s- sort of subordinate their um, objectives, you know, Richie Port was was second in Romandy, and we've seen Rowan Dennis sort of as the real workhorse, particularly in Romandy for the team, and Carapaz as well has been playing a team role at times. Danny Martinez, even Adam Yates to a certain extent, and I suppose that's the that's the question mark. Uh, just on Romandy in general as well, and and you know whether it did feel slightly subdued. I mean, this might this might sound sacrilegious to Garant Thomas fans, but is there an, an element of well, any stage race lacking a rog or a pog now also lacks a little bit of sort of sparkle dust? I know, um, that, because, you know, when you think about the races that, that have lacked those riders, that they have, they have, you know, compare Catalonia to the Basque Country, for example. They, they were completely different spectacles. Um, there is that, and, you know, I, I just think that the the strength in, in numbers that Ineos Grenadiers have make it very, very difficult for the other teams. I mean, one of the stories of the season, I think, is Richie Port, resurgent Richie Port. Um, obviously finished on the podium at, at the Tour last year. I think there was there was a sense that that was a kind of um, a valediction uh, that he was he was then going to sort of retreat a little bit into the shadows and become a domestique deluxe in his final two years, but. It doesn't look like that. I mean, he's he's right. You know, he he was he could have won Romandy. They seem to be joint leaders. He and Thomas. So he looks as good as he's ever looked. I would say. Yeah, and I think that what we've seen so far, and we may yet see again at the Tour de France, is fortunately for Ineos, um, Rowan Dennis is solving a lot a lot of problems for them because he's doing the work of two or three domestiques deluxe at the moment, and it means they're not having to use um, Richie Port or a Carapaz in that role, and and that's possibly where the difficult conversations will come when uh, you know they're a week into the Tour de France we've already had a time trial and they've got three riders in the top five or six you know maybe one of them then will have to sacrifice their chances but if you've got a Rowan Dennis you know who can pull for 20 kilometers on the flat and you know 10 kilometers on a climb then um, that's an incredible luxury to have. Any concerns about Ghana? He's obviously going to the, the Giro and he's looked so dominant in time trials, but anything but at Romandy, the two time trials, which maybe not perfect for him, the second one or, or the first one, um, but uh, you'd have expected him maybe to perform a little bit better and he's you know not much time between Romandy and the Giro. Yeah, I think his focus is very much on Tokyo, isn't it? And the um, the time trial there. But it just occurred to me at Romandy and Romandy was well particularly exciting race from this point of view from the point of view of time trials that we we might be entering a bit of a golden age of time trial and I've sort of felt over the last Ox, decade an oxymoron or so, there if ever I heard one what was that? a golden age of time yeah um, over the last 10 years or so or 15 years going back even further there's tended to be one very dominant time trialist and 
Um, so much so that sort of pretenders to the throne have kind of been put put off and deterred and, and you know, started to concentrate on other things. But when you think of um, Dennis, who, you know, is coming back to form in time trials as well, Ganna and Remy Cavagna as well is getting stronger and stronger. And there's also Stefan Bissegger. Um, I think there's there's potential for fantastic battles between those guys and I wonder I, I don't know this for sure but um, I wonder whether some of those guys did Romandy specifically because there were two time trials and um, I, I guess when it comes to drawing up those riders race programs that's a big consideration how many time trials there are and who they'll be time trialing against as well the cycling podcast is supported by science in sport science in sport fueled by science thank you very much indeed to science and sport and happy anniversary as well it's been five years since uh, science and sport came on board supporting the cycling podcast they've been by our side ever since and we are very very grateful to them indeed but it was the giro in 2016 uh, where they came on board as our sponsor and uh, here they still are still offering 25% off in fact it used to be 20% it's gone up to 25% off tcp25 scienceandsport.com what's that tcp25 no daniel oh, oh you've slipped back um siscp25 siscp25 um during the giro uh, we are running a competition in conjunction with science and sport uh, to win an energy bundle worth more than £80 by predicting the winner of Sunday's stage. That's each of the Sundays, so four in total. Um, this week, it's stage two um, from Stupinigi. Stupinigi, is that right, Daniel? Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, Began with or... the right letter. <laughs> <laughs> Stupinigi to Novara. Um all, you don't need to pronounce uh, the, the, the towns, you just need to predict the winner. Um, the competition will run for each of the four Sunday stages through the Giro, as I've said. If no one picks the stage winner, the prize will roll over. Enter now by going to thecyclingpodcast.com. So go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see how to enter this uh, fantastic competition to guess the winner of the stage. And uh, you can win this fantastic bundle of uh, stuff from science and sport and thanks once again to science and sport um siscp25 don't forget exactly exactly uh on saturday as stage one gets underway stacy snyder's mugs cappuccino sets and gelato bowls will go on sale now that is to give the precise time because people do ask about that 11 a.m u.s east coast time um, go to uh, thecyclingpodcast.com again for details about how to buy these items. All proceeds go to a good cause or good causes. And I must confess, to quote Chiro, who we'll be hearing from soon, we I've been unable to choose the good causes. We've had so many nominations and they're all amazing, really. Um, it's very, very difficult to pick one or two of them. So... Um, I basically kicked the can down the road and I've given myself a bit more time and will be confirming on social media in the coming days uh, which good causes will benefit from the sale of Stacey's mugs, cups and gelato bowls. And gelato bowls are absolutely beautiful. Um, so go to thecyclingpodcast.com 
for those as well. Um, our Giro coverage will be, as per usual, nightly shows, nightly episodes recapping the race, um, press conferences on the rest days, that's two press conferences, uh, might be a video element to that as well, and might be, if we can work it, and episodes of Kilometre Zero as well, nine in total, um, been working on a couple of those already, um, they'll be coming out Usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there might be a bit of flexibility with that, but there'll be three a week throughout the Giro. And they are also supported by Super Sapiens. So, um, what's to look forward to? But what are you looking forward to, Well, Dan? there'll be a lot of Giro Vagando, a lot of roaming, strolling, foraging for for stories, won't there, Rich? But um, I'm looking forward to some, some very specific things. And actually, another thing that we are going to be introducing, um, pursuing... Um, flogging like a dead horse um, throughout the Giro is going to be my 18 and famously of course I have I've tended to give um, my short list of 18 most likely riders to win races and we're going to be calling it Daniel's Diciotto that's 18 in Italian um, during the Giro every day on social media I will be predicting that 18 most likely riders or stating the most the 18 most likely riders to win races but Rich also to, win this, to win that stage I mean have, win, you, have you done this already have you no of course I've got to I've got to wait yeah. until you know I've got to assess the lie of the land every morning Mm. Um, but I've also come up with 18 reasons to look for reasons why I'm looking forward to the Giro great buckle up buckle up so number one uh, Gianni Savio's formations particularly him experimenting with an avant-garde is free jazz Miles Davis inspired one 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 formation possibly um, in all seriousness I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing his Eritrean rider uh, Nat Nail Tess Fazion 21 year old who's riding Giro for his first time for the first time um, unmasking or introducing to our listeners one of the most mysterious yet powerful figures in professional cycling at some point in the first week of the race that's all i'll say um rich seeing if all the training you've droned on about for the last few months is sufficient to beat me who almost never rides a bike in a top secret cycling challenge that's going to dwarf the difficulty of the zoncolan um whoa who's going to make the most harmonious couple is it going to be remco vainapol and jao almeida or is it going to be siv pavel sivakov and bernal that's going to be interesting, isn't it? And also curious about um, De Koenig have obviously got James Knox, who's... Um, have we already said that he's going to be a diarist? No, he's going to be a diarist. Third, third Grand diarist. Tour in a row, he's going to be a diarist for the Cycling Podcast. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see how they use Knox and Masnada as well. This could be a rare GT where GC hierarchies might be a point of discussion for De Koenig. Um Seeing how Jumbo Visma's hotels measure up to ours, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can explain. Yeah, um, well, last year, of course, Jumbo Visma left the race, didn't they? Um, on the on the first rest day, uh, on the same day as Mitchell Scott, who had uh, several COVID cases in their team, um, Jumbo Visma had one, Stephen Kreuzweg, their their leader, and they they opted to leave the race too. Yeah, we'd run an interview with Jos van Emden the previous day, actually, and he'd spoken uh, about the protocols at the Giro um, around COVID security and health. And he was concerned about the hotels, in particular the buffets and so on. And um, when Jumbo Visma made the decision to withdraw from the race, Giro organisers were not happy at all. And it didn't seem like the Mauro Veni, the, the Giro director, really calmed down for quite some time, if at all. 
from that. I think there's still quite a lot of um, bad blood between Jumbo Visma and RCS over the way that they withdrew from the race last year. And yet, I think most observers, most neutral observers, would say that they did the responsible thing. And Addy Engels at the time said they felt it was the responsible thing to do, to actually give the race the best chance of, of making it all the way to Milan. Um, so a, a curious one. And, well, when I went to the Jumbo Visma camp in uh, January, I spoke to Addy Engels and he he certainly thought that they um, that things had not been resolved between RCS and the team. And uh, he gave a wry smile when I suggested that their hotels might not be might not be the best ones so two hour two hour transfers every morning for Yumbo Visma coming to a youth hostel near you um, <laughs> also so I think we're on number six now return of Dylan Grunewagen. Um part of me hopes we'll see him smiling because I think he was scapegoated slightly after um, Fabio Jakobsen's crash last year in Poland um, looking forward to finding out how good Tim Merlier really is he's sort of been the sprinting scourge of the minor leagues for a couple of years now um, Alperson Phoenix sprinter but he'll be up against some pretty top sprinters at the Giro Ewan Grunewagen etc Rich looking forward to going to Umbria um, my favourite Italian region I would say but I'm looking forward to well, I'm, I'm particularly delighted about the amount of time this jury is spending in central Italy and and we'll hear from John Foote later but I was talking to John the other day and saying that you know, that is where I really feel you, you get the essence of Italy and, and you get the essence of the Giro and in fact we discussed this last year we talked about Dino Buzzati's classic account 40, 1949 Giro and he sort of shared my feelings about central Italy. This is what he wrote on about the stage from Rome to Pesaro, across the sort of centre of the Apennines. How bitter it is to traverse the heart of Italy at breakneck speed and not to be able to stop. This is where Italy is most like Italy, where 100,000 memories of major events are stirred in even those with the most basic education. But this land speaks to even someone who has never been to school and is oblivious to centuries of history, even to an illiterate person. And only a Philistine wouldn't want to stop here, stretch out in the shade of a tree, with the birds singing overhead and gaze at passing swallows and the happy clouds floating between castle turrets. That'll be us, won't it, Rich? Just Absolutely. I'm looking at- forward to going to Perugia because it might be the only place in Italy that I know better than you. Um, I'm not sure because I think I lived there for longer than you, Rich. Oh. In Perugia, I went to the university there. But I know you lived there. Oh. I didn't live there, but my friend, I had a friend at the university there, University Stranieri, the University that's of where Foreigners. I went. Yeah, that's where yeah, I went. and uh, I stayed a couple of winters with him. It was my winter training camp, my winter training base. Lovely stuff. That's why my time is so good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to day three. We finished just outside Alba, which is a mecca for white truffles and Nebbiolo wine. Looking forward to. Peter, another show from Peter Sagan, um, like the one last year on the Adriatic Coast, one of the most memorable sort of individual performances I've seen at a Giro. Um, looking forward to our day in Montalcino, not only because that's the Strade Bianche stage, but also because we're staying on a winery and we'll probably be drinking some lovely Brunello. Um, looking forward to nice. seeing how Jai Hindley gets on, Jai Rule. Um, had quite a low-key start to the season, obviously, um, was was in with a shout right until the very last, well, kilometre last year at the Giro. Um, I'm curious to see whether he repeats those exploits. 
Rich, I'm looking forward to the two greatest rest days in Grand Tour history. I think as, as far as rest day locations go, Assisi, which is where we'll be, and the Dolomites, that's just about perfection. Um, transfer rumours. Uh, I, I think, hate to break it to you, Daniel, but Assisi isn't in the Dolomites. <laughs> um, transfer rumours. That's The transfer market is starting to hot up. been speaking to a few agents in the last few weeks. I mentioned Sagan a second ago. He's one of the, the sort of the hot topics of this year's... Jai Hindley as well. Yeah, this year's rumour mill. So I think we'll probably find out some more about um, those riders, where they're likely to end up. From the, the agents that will be circling, no doubt, the Giro... I think we're on number 14 or 15 now, 15 maybe. Um, looking forward to educating Francois about Italian food and just food in general. Oh, <laughs> um, oh. I'm looking forward to seeing Peo Bilbao and Mikel Landa in action, the Minogue sisters of Basque, Basque cycling. Um, how can Mikel clamber upon Peo's shoulders and onto the podium? Maybe the top step of the podium. Um... Siena, Ravenna, Foligno, Ascoli, Verona, Perugia, Firenze, Florence. I mean, the, the cities that we're going to see on this Giro are going to be quite something. And, you know, that's something we don't necessarily get with the Tour de France. The Giro is still small enough that it can go into... It, we won't be in the centres of all of those places, but um, some of the most beautiful places in Italy we're likely to see. And I think we're on to the last one. Hugh Carthy, uh, lugubrious, laconic... Hugh Carthy, um, he's sort of gone under the radar this year um, after finishing on the podium at the Vuelta and no one's really talking about him as a potential winner but he could be a potential winner of this, well he is a potential winner of this Giro. Daniel, it feels like a good time to check in with Ciro Scognamilio, um, our friend at Gazeta della Sport who to will his be... 18 reasons to look forward to the Giro. <laughs> well, he'll be joining us sporadically and erratically and, and probably briefly um, at the Giro he tends to uh, appear and make brief cameos and then sprint off um, because he's always very busy and he'll be even busier now that Nibali's participation is confirmed he is officially the shadow of the shark um, so Chiro will no doubt be busy but you managed to, to pin him down uh, for a conversation and there's actually some cycling in this spoiler alert there's some a cycling small amount of cycling let's go to Chiro my form my shape my condition it's not so bad because uh, I had the possibility uh, to do three days off, uh, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. So I'm coming uh, from three days off. So it's not bad, but not 100% because uh, in these three days, in any case, I received the phone, phone uh, about stuff of Giro d'Italia. I check. Uh, email on this stuff so it hasn't been unfortunately a complete rest so let's say my shape not 100 percent around 70 and 80 percent so you've got you've got room to you've got margin for improvement but yesterday you mentioned big news to do with the giro yesterday of course it was big news for you with the news that the shark will be taking part but with what goals, with what objectives, with what possibilities? Well, he said that uh, certainly so far it's not possible to say if uh, he's going for the GC or only for trying to win some stages. My opinion, I mean, imagine uh, Vincenzo Nibali, the shark, uh, 
really competitive for the pink in Milan, from my point of view, it's really, really difficult. We have to remember that uh, apart from his uh, crash, his accident at the middle of April, the age, in my opinion, uh, is an important factor. And we have to remember that uh, he's almost 37. Uh, you have to consider that this year so far, in World Tour races, I don't know if our friend Mark Cavendish is listening or not. But in any case, I, I can so almost far, gar- I can almost right? guarantee that he's not listening. But go on, Chiro. Uh, okay, but, but in any case, uh, in any case, you could tell him uh, that uh, so far in World Tour races, no victories in this year for any rider uh, of an age of more than 35 years. So, in my opinion, I don't see the shark. Uh, competitive for the pink jersey in Milan, but uh, protagonist, I mean, uh, actor of the race, maybe trying to win some stages, why not? This is my point of view. And Chira, it's a big year for the Shark, isn't it? Because this is the last year of his contract at Trek, and you say, you mentioned he's 37. Do you expect him to be in the peloton next year, and with which team? Well, this is a really good question. Um, he said that um, in his mind, if this year, you know, uh, this year is also the year of the Olympic Games in Tokyo, if the, in this year he is able to reach a great achievement, a great victory, for example, the gold medal of the Olympics in Tokyo in the road race, I think he has the intention to leave cycling after such epic victories. Otherwise, uh, uh, I have the impression that he would like still to continue one more year with which team in 2022. Uh, This is uh, a one million dollar question or also less. I think maybe uh, maybe a bit less nowadays. Yeah, I think so. I think less. Uh, Maybe the real... uh, uh, one million dollar question, for example, uh, is about where uh, will be my next holidays because I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, backing to the shark, uh, I think uh, that is not sure. Uh, but uh, the and I hope to try to give this news during the Giro, maybe at the same time for our readers of Gazetta. And for our listeners, at the same time, why not? Could be a goal, an achievement. Wow, what commitment, what loyalty to the podcast. Incredible. And we, and we don't pay you. We get you for free. Amazing. Um, Chiro, on the Italian front, looking at the other Italian riders on the start line, um, it's, well, compared to the glory years of the, I don't know, the 90s, 80s, I suppose you could call them glory years in one respect, um, not much in terms of Italian contenders, protagonists. Of course, our friend Radio Viviani, Elia Viviani, will be at the Giro. How do you think he'll do and how do you think some of the other Italians will do? Who, who, which Italian is going to surprise us at the Giro? Well, I mean, um, if I can say a surprise around Italian guys, I could point out the name of... Uh, Fausto Masnada, I was thinking about him. Languilla di Brembilla, the eel of the Brembilla Valley. 
Exactly, because last year working for Joao Almeida in the October edition, uh, I mean, he worked a lot for uh, the Portuguese and he arrived ninth in the overall. Now he's coming well in the Giro, he arrived on the final podium third in the Tour of Romandy, he climbs well, so in my opinion can be a possible surprise for the Italian public. Radio Viviani, uh, we already know him, uh, dear Lia, I mean, 24 hours a day possible, I mean, we, we can, could listen to him, and so I hope then he can reach the old level. We have to remember that three years ago, I mean, he was able uh, to win four stages in the Giro, certainly now he's a different team, the situation around him is not so easy, but I hope, I'm confident that he could win some stages and certainly we can't uh, forget Filippo Ganna uh, we already know last Giro for him was outstanding with two days in pink and four stage victories now I think is not in the same shape because uh, also Tokyo the Olympics is a target for him but uh, he remains a man to watch and uh, I can say one thing more only for our listeners um, I would like to buy um, a, I don't want to say a shirt from his fan club but there is a kind of special uh, well in Italy Daniel uh, you can help me in this way we call the felpa do you know what I mean I mean yeah, uh, um, it's with, like uh, a fleece yeah. it's a fleece Exactly, uh, and uh, we have to consider that uh, um, uh, Giro starts from the region of Filippo, uh, Piemonte, and this fan club has realized a really nice, I mean, you, are, you have in mind, I think, uh, my, share, my t-shirt, no Giro, no Giro, we are not at the same level, but I hope uh, to have this uh, special stuff from Filippo Ganna fan club. I'm sure you'll get one. I'm sure you'll get one. Chiro, last two questions. Who's going to win the Giro? And finally, what about the beaches? I want you to give us a bit of a review or a beach to look out for because we're mainly on the Adriatic coast. We're not really going to the Tyrrhenian coast, which I think is the nicer coast. Um, but if there is a, a spot at the seaside to look out for, where is it? But first, who's going to win? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you my final podium, not only who will win. So, my final podium, first, Egan Bernal, second, Mikel Landa, third, Simon Yates. This is my final podium in Milan. And, concerning to the beaches, certainly much more important by far than the final podium, I have a special advice for our listeners. At a certain point, I don't remember exactly when, because I must confess that I didn't study the parkour at all, because, you know, it's not very important for me, but there is a stage that arrives, or starts, but maybe arrives, in Termoli, Termoli. The name of the region is Molise. Molise, so which, Molise which doesn't exactly. exist. There's a there's a, a myth that yeah, Molise yeah, doesn't no, exist. It's, uh, it's, it, exactly, it's a dim region. But in any case, from Termoli, you can take a boat and arrive in um, more or less one hour, one hour and a half, not more. You can arrive to 
Trinity Islands, Trinity Islands, really a treasure, not really famous, but especially the island of San Nicola is beautiful. I mean, there are no sand beaches, but uh, rock uh, beaches, really marvelous. And uh, I can tell uh, one thing only for our listeners, maybe my Giro d'Italia could end in Termoli because I could escape and take a boat to follow the second part of the Giro from this marvelous island. Why not? You could you could go in fuga. You could be in the breakaway that day, but you won't be coming back. The peloton won't catch you that day. No, 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 no. I'm not catchable uh, from uh, the peloton. Even if uh, with uh, Filippo Ganna at 110%, uh, uh, I can assure you that uh, he can't catch me. Not at all. I was Chiro there with the, the half million dollar question or the quarter million dollar question or the maybe lower fractions of a million dollar question about Nibali's future. We shall see. Um, but we're going to hear from Francois Tomaso in a moment. Uh, before we do, uh, Daniel mentioned James Knox will be a diarist for us at the Giro. We are hoping to sign up another writer. Talks are ongoing at the moment um, expecting him to someone to ink a deal with the cycling podcast in the next few hours I mean it might the, 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 you know we might get news of this while we're recording in which case we'll break it live on air but we we hope to have another diarist I'm sure we will if you don't want to miss um, any news from the the cycling podcast at the Giro sign up to our newsletter the 1101 cappuccino Lionel will be manning that and you'll be getting missives from him throughout the Giro, uh, go to the cyclingpodcast.com. You can also sign up as a friend of the podcast there. Um, there's lots of Giro-related episodes from the past there if you want to sign up at the cyclingpodcast.com. You can also buy one of the new Cycling Podcast t-shirts there as well with all the the, the catchphrases from the podcast. It doesn't have Giro Vagando yet, but maybe in the future it will. Um, I'm still waiting for my t-shirt um, here in France. hasn't quite arrived yet. Um, but Daniel, uh, Chiro sounded, well, as he said, in, in, in great shape. Um, he's got good sensations ahead of Giro. Yes. And you said that he'll be extra motivated now that he knows the shark um, will, be, will be riding. But of course, he was already motivated when he knew the baby shark, um, Antonio, was going to be taking part in the Giro. But you know, he's always up for it, isn't he? I don't think he's very happy or as we... We got a sense there. Um, he's not very happy about the route. He would have liked more beaches, less mountains, but that's always the case, isn't it? Chiro, I mean, there's a great history of, of journalists becoming race directors, isn't there? Um, Chiro's always said he wants to retire <laughs> as, as a journalist quite soon. Can you see him as a, a Giro director one day? Um, I must say, not really. Could you imagine? Not like, really. An entirely coastal Giro. Um, I, don't, I don't think he'd last very <laughs> well, long. You, 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 um, you joke. We joke, but um, Vincenzo Torriani, the, uh, the, the mo- probably most famous Giro director of all time, he had that exact idea one year, Rich, and I think we might have even talked about it last year. Um, it was was it in the fifties or sixties? I'll check this. I think it was in the sixties, um, and maybe tell this story um, over the next three weeks. But he did have an idea to only visit. Well, resorts, coastal resorts, seaside resorts, and all the riders were going to stay on a cruise ship. Wow! Every night, 
but it didn't happen. Didn't oh, well. Um, shall we hear from Francois Tomazo, who will be joining us in the second week of the Giro through to the end? Oh, 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 a regular um, on the on our Tour de France coverage, of course, for the last few years. He'll be joining us again at the Tour this year, but his first Giro, this one. Well, Francois, ça va? Ça va bien, oui. <laughs> or should I say ciao, Francois? Um, Franco. Oh. Uh, oh, ciao, ciao, bambino. <laughs> uh, Fra- Francois, no, I mean, you'll be joining us at the Tour de France again this year. We're obviously delighted about that. But you're also coming out to the Giro, and we're, you're going to join us in week two as long as we can uh, organize your transport. Um, if anybody out there <laughs> listening has a has a, a boat that can sail from uh, Marseille to somewhere around um, Pisa that might be helpful but anyway um, but Francois this will be your first Giro how have you managed to avoid the Giro in all these years of covering cycling uh, well the, the problem was I, I was also covering tennis and uh, and I've covered the French Open tennis for uh, 30 years in succession non-stop when I say non-stop it, it, it almost felt like non-stop mm. like, uh, like, like really Roland Garros was my second home in many ways I knew everybody there. I even ended being the uh, president of the uh, press uh, commission at uh, the French Open. So, so when I was walking around the, uh, you know, uh, around the courts in uh, in uh, at the French Open, everybody was calling me president. You know, which is pretty nice. So, mm-hmm. so being the president of the French Open, I, and and it, it was taking place at the same time as, as a Giro, as you know. So, um, yeah. So it was either the the, the tennis or. Uh, the Giro, so uh, yeah, never had the chance. It's, it's like it's like you know, so someone in my situation in, in Britain would, would be in the same, would have the same problem with Wimbledon. Mm. You, know? you either do one or the other, you do Wimbledon or the Tour. So um, yeah, well, my life was uh, was the French and the Tour. <laughs> quite, I mean, uh, to go from the, the the president to a rookie at the Giro, that's quite an adjustment <laughs> you're going to have to make. <laughs> Well, you know that, that that's the story of uh, the world we 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 living. You know, you uh, you go from um, heights to uh, to from highs to lows. And I'm not saying that doing the Giro with you is a low, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's nice. I mean, I I I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, I've done the other two Grand Tours before, and uh, uh, without you know, I, I never the Adam Hansen of the uh, Grand Tour journalism, but. But you know, to to do the Giro at least once was uh, something I really needed to do, and uh, and to do it with uh, yeah, with with uh, I mean the one and only uh, uh, Daniel Freiber, the man who knows Italy better than the Italians, and uh, you know, it, it's a shame I don't drink coffee or cappuccino, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to settle on Italian tea, which as I'm, which I'm not sure is uh, great. I mean, I don't know. It's probably if I believe you know. Uh, Daniel, but everything Italian. I'm sure the Italians make the best tea on the on the planet. Well, you we'll can see. maybe resurrect your tea, <laughs> tea Pacino that you uh, yeah, yeah, that sure. you invented at the tour a few years ago. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think that would go down very well. What are you most looking forward to though about the Giro and about being in Italy? Now, the, well, the food, of course, the, the food, the wine. Uh, unlike some other guys, I'm I'm very open-minded, uh, you know, as far as food is concerned, and I think. Uh, you know, every country on the planet has great food, and, and and Italy obviously is among is probably among the top three countries for eating well and drinking good wine. So uh, that'll so, be so, sorry. So Scotland, Italy, and what would be the the third one? <laughs> 
uh, well, well, England, I think, or Wales. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I went there. yeah, of course. And the thing is, Lionel not being around, I, I will, I will, have, you know, I, I will have to uh, maintain the uh, living standards of the second podcast, I guess, uh, uh, on the uh, peninsula. And so, um, yeah, uh, well, I, I'm not saying I'm going to eat as much and. Uh, <laughs> I, I drink as much as Lionel would have, but I, I, I try my best to uh, do your best. Be, yeah, yeah, up to the challenge, and also being kind of reunited with Chiro on the on his uh, homeland. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean that, that that's uh, because of the COVID last year. I was supposed to be going on holidays in Sardinia, uh, and and I had called Chiro for for advice on the best beaches on in Sardinia. And it, it, it given me a great, great advice, but I had to cancel my my holiday. So uh, uh, it'll be a chance to rediscuss plan, you know, beach plans with uh, with Chiro. So I'm looking forward to the, to that as well. No better person. And about the cycling, well, you know, which as you know is, is always secondary in my uh, <clears throat> my coverage, coverage plans. No, I, I'm sure. Uh, well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, all Grand Tours have been exceptionally exciting these uh, these last couple of years uh, with the new generation generation coming up and, uh, uh, you know, teams, uh, you know, altering their plans. And it's it's all, I mean, the, it, it's it's kind of very recent, that, but we've got the past decade, we've had these kind of, uh, you know, adjustment of plans to... Uh, uh, in, within teams to uh, accommodate leaders and 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 some guys are more Vuelta or Giro fans, or specialists and tour specialists, and uh, so it's interesting to see that uh, how uh, all this unfolds. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see what Bernal, if Bernal can you know win this you know this and uh, add a Grand Tour to his credit. I I'm looking forward to see how Balde is doing. You know what the, he lost kind of two years of his career. And, uh, changing teams, changing plans, and everything. Can he bounce back in the Giro? You know, in a strong team in many ways, and, and some other guys. Unfortunately, Pino won't be around. But no, he's uh, of, of course Ineos will be to watch as the title holders, and, and, and I already mentioned Bernal. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what Simon Yates, who's always exciting in the Giro, can do. I mean, it's there's lots of things to uh, to be looking forward to, and and of course also discovering places. I've, I've always had a kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say bias against Italy, but I've 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 lived so close for so many years, and uh, and I've always travelled more more to Britain or Spain than to to Italy. So I, I'm hoping for yeah to to to, to join the, the 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 league of the you know telephiles uh, or whatever you call them. <laughs> Who knows? This could be the start of an Adam Hansen type run at the Grand Tours for you. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, I've done more than thirty Tour de France. Maybe I'll end up doing more than thirty Giro's. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you never know. Well, good to hear that Francois is open-minded about food. Well, we know he's. We we already know he's open-minded about food because he. You have to be if you live in France, don't you, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> no, it started already. The food fights. The food fights, I mean, and I'm not talking about bread rolls being thrown across the dining room here. Although we might, we might see that. He said Italy is in the top three um, cuisines in the world. I think it's definitely in the top one. Do, would you say that? You, you think? Would yes, you I would say so. Go that I far. Would say so. But we can we can discuss Top that one. at more length, at greater length. When we're there, I wouldn't say I'm the I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm the best manager, but I'm in the top one. To to as Brian Clough once said, didn't yes. he? Um, 
Now, Daniel, we've got another, we're going to hear from another uh, voice, as we mentioned at the start, um, somebody who really uh, provided a lot of very useful context last year during our Giro when we were looking at the the history of, of the race and some of the, the culture around the race. Um, John Foote provided uh, a lot of very valuable information. Yes, John, when it comes to modern uh, Italy, modern Italian history, um, he's pretty much the authority, English language um, authority, the author of numerous books, including one about cycling, an excellent one about um, the Giro and Italian cycling, Pedalare, Pedalare. Um, John's latest book is um, about Italy since 1945 called The Archipelago, and that came out a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, if you want any sort of background context about Italy during the Giro, then definitely look up um, some of John's writing. But yeah, Rich, I caught up with um, John a couple of days ago. He's been locked up like everyone else for the last year of of course, his day job is a professor of Italian at Bristol University, but he's been he's been marooned there in Bristol for a year, not been able to get to Italy. But as always, um, he has kept a very keen eye on everything going on in Italy during the pandemic. And what we were interested in hearing from John was what we should expect um, when we go to Turin in three or four days. In what state are we going to find Italy? So John, a year ago, we were in the first throes of the pandemic and Italy was being struck pretty much worse than anywhere else in Europe. And we talked about the implications that that might hold. We talked about how Italy has reacted previously to crises and emergencies and how the country has has almost drawn strength and and reinvigorated itself um, after or during those crises. And first of all, I just wanted to ask you, a year on, is that the effect that the pandemic is having or could have on Italy? So I think it's, it's still being worked through. I think it was a collective trauma um, that is nowhere near understood yet. Um, particularly that that period the early period in the north and places like Bergamo which were extraordinarily hit uh, and that is still being worked through and that there will be any number of inquiries and there's judicial inquests going on there are public inquiries of all kinds and that will drag on I think for years and years and years until we get to the actual sort of truth of whether people made mistakes at the start um, the medical, you know, Italy was very unlucky and it had it had no medical knowledge to draw on apart from China, which was, of course, not particularly useful at that point. And, you know, it was kind of the the um, uh, guinea pig for the rest of Europe and people learned their lessons from Italy. So, you know, the mistakes were obviously made mainly in good faith, but not always. So I think there's a collective trauma which is being worked through. On the one hand, I, um, the outcomes were a kind of coming together as seen in many countries. Uh, for example, Giuseppe Conte became incredibly popular, um, which he hadn't been before. And of course, he came from nowhere to be prime minister. Um, he was just an obscure academic lawyer plucked out by the Five Star Movement to be prime minister. And in fact, in the grand scheme of things, did pretty well in an incredibly difficult situation um, and became extri- the most popular politician in Italy, along with the president Mattarella, who was in a kind of figurehead. So these figureheads became the people who Italy identified with, who they could see they were doing a difficult job to the best of their ability and didn't seem to be doing it 
be corrupt or be doing things because of, you know, interests that were personal. So that was interesting. And there was quite a lot of, you know, collective moments, some of them stereotypes, you know, singing from balconies and so on. Uh, an extraordinary um, solidarity around the health service and health workers, which again, you saw in many countries, but I think um, Italy's health service stood up to the pressure generally. I mean, in, in some cases it, it collapsed, but, you know, understandably, probably in the... There, is, there are some analyses which say that the privatisation of much of the health service, for example, in Lombardy was a factor. So that's something to look at. And then I think there's been a kind of... Since then, since sort of... There was a progressive disintegration of that unity um, over the summer as lockdowns, as we went through the familiar tale of anybody in the world of coming out of lockdown, going back into lockdown, coming out of lockdown, and that kind of very difficult di situation to deal with. It's all over, it's not all over kind of thing. I think that, that unity, that national um, cohesion, which we saw as as, as largely fallen apart, and the old political interests have, sectional political interests have become more important, leading to the national government. And this is a kind of a contradiction in what I'm saying. You've got a national government of emergency, but everyone's in it for their own interests. That's my feeling about, about what you have now. So Conte fell. He was kind of stabbed in the back by Matteo Renzi for reasons that are almost entirely to do with Matteo Renzi and not to do with anything else at all, uh, political coup, if you like. And, um, and then we have this kind of familiar thing that Italy does in crisis, which is a government of national emergency with a non-politician in charge, Mario Draghi. And that is really not got much future, in my opinion. Obviously, we go to the Giro every year, John, and it's almost a, an opportunity for us to take the pulse of the, the nation as we see it um, but one thing we often come back to with Italy is confidence and we sort of think about the, the national psyche and this is a, probably a bit of being that anthropology but we talk about how maybe because Italy is such a young country probably that it's never really been sure of its place in the world and, and you see this sort of lack of confidence about you know how it how it stands where it stands compared to other countries in Europe and um, you know we often say even very positive things come out of that for example the eagerness to please the hospitality um, that we find in Italy but the confidence needle is it moving in the right or the wrong direction at the moment do you think I'm, my feeling and I haven't been there for a year so this is all from the outside my feeling is that there's a you know profound level of of fear of um, uncertainty um, of kind of um, fragile a very fragile uh, feeling about the future and that was already there because of the you know the Italian economic crisis has been going on a long time uh, at least 10 years you know there was no blip in that really um, and that you know what they call la crisi is, is something that from 2008 has, has not really ended um, and that's not to say that you know Italy doesn't have a very high standard of living in lots of parts of it but that is that has been more and more fragile I think and the pandemic has hit that. So I get a feeling of fragility, of um, insecurity. Um, and I've had this sort of, even in my own personal um, dealings with Italy, I, I wrote a piece about Italian universities 
um, which is meant to be a bit of a silly piece in some ways, a, a review of a book by Tim Parks about Italian universities. But I got sort of massive um, um, criticism and massive support. And it was really interesting. Um, but, you know, very kind of, who are you, English person, to be attacking us? Um, and, and that kind of reaction, which is, I think, the worst kind of reaction, right? Not actually dealing with the actual substance of the thing. It does. It's a little bit of a spy. Uh, that's more of an Italianism, a spear, a, a way into understanding where Italy is. Um, so, you know, the political crisis is, is very much not being resolved. You've had elections which haven't produced winners um, or clear winners. You've had massive corruption also connected to the pandemic. So I think it's in a, it's in a very fragile place. And I don't think the there are very few signs of an, uh, a positive outcome in the near future. Just thinking a bit about the future, and again in very broad terms, just thinking about where Italy goes from here in the medium and long term. Um, we've often talked about how Italy wrestles with, well, its deep affection, and rightly so, its almost infatuation with its own past and its sort of respect for and veneration of old people, um, never mind old towns and old traditions and customs. And while at the same time recognising that it needs to show and develop a more dynamic face and be maybe a bit more like some of its currently more prosperous European neighbours, I think you see the same thing in the Jira in the sense that um, it's a race that is unabashedly celebrates its own past, Italy's past. You hear the race director Maroveni talking about things like Italianità, Italianness, and how the Jira needs to celebrate that. But at the same time, one wonders whether the Jira also needs to maybe reflect a different side of Italy and court a different Italian public. I think it's courted. Um, uh, an, an international audience, certainly. I think it's always torn between... I mean, one thing, that trend that you talk about, I think is quite is quite clear, that the, the Giro has known for quite a long time has not been looking inward for its main focus of its sort of message, if it has a message. Um, it always did have a message. I mean, right going back to the when it was formed and, you know, talking about the Giro de Renascita and this sort of pedagogic national identity message, which which was transformed through this annual ritual, which went everywhere, which also had very a high sense of its own history and a high sense of anniversaries. And there's still some of that. But I get the feeling that the idea, the marketing people have really taken over in a different kind of way. And the audience is, is, is definitely no longer an Italian audience, although that is still important. Uh, you know, people pay to have the La Tapa, don't they? So, you know, there's, that's some of the basic bread and butter stuff. But, you know, as you say, I think they're, they're, their audience is now is the, is, the, is the massive cycling global audience. And that, and that will probably see what it wants to see in Italy. And there are ways that you could subvert that. And of course, it, it shows bits of Italy, it even shows those to Italian that Italians don't know. That's always one, one of the great things about the Giro is that, you know, it's not just um, the mountains that you know, and the cities that you know, it's, it's also places that I've never seen before. And it, it does that kind of geographical explaining. And I think that has been, I don't have direct evidence of that, but I'm sure that has a way of bringing a different kind of tourist to Italy might be a cycling tourist, might be somebody who sees something which isn't necessarily, you know, the Chianti, um, you know, 
rolling hill um which is which is a very powerful image which kind of dominates a lot of other images or you know james Richard, james richardson sitting with his cappuccino cappuccino outside in rome uh, with a massive ice cream which is fine but it is there's that kind of you know a bit beyond that so it's quite i think it's quite a high level cultural product in that sense and of course cycling fans are sophisticated right because you you don't watch a you don't watch a giro if you know nothing about cycling because you won't really get much out of it will you i mean you you, you need some technical you know ability to really get into it Again, thinking about how the Giro might evolve. Um, last year, you know, amid all the the conversations about diversity, we we sort of start reflecting on the Tour de France and on what a what a sort of arcane image of France um, that that reflects. You know, it's all sort of bunting and and almost. I mean, it just about stops short of of um, men in stripy jumpers with garlic or onions around their neck, and um, but not too far short. And, you know, similarly with Italy, you know, you can look at the Giro and think that it's a, a very monocultural sort of rural vision of Italy. But of course, there is huge diversity in Italy, uh, isn't there, John? You know, beyond the, the colour of people's skin, which, you know, will become, I think, more of an issue as years go by. But one of the strengths of the Giro has always been to celebrate Italy's diversity, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the sort of the differences even between the major cities um, are just just so extraordinary. If anyone knows Italy compared, I, I mean, I I think even compared to certainly compared to Britain, but even compared to France Argentina, and Naples and Milan, you know, just it's so different in the makeup of the urban fabric, but also in the in the culture, in the in the in the ge- geography, in the in the history, you know, they and that that that's something that Jira can kind of capture as it flashes by, <laughs> um, you know, and kind of can't. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 you've got different kinds of audiences, haven't you, and different kinds of peoples, and and I think some of the some of the old pedagogic ideas of of, of anniversaries are probably getting completely lost, even on the Italian audiences now, like. Um, um, you know the first world war references or the second world war reference and so on and they'll be for a very tiny minority and they were always were actually a really big part of what happened um someone yeah like um uh what was the toriani's vision of the the giro it's very much yeah we're going here because there was a battle here <laughs> in 1942 and you know that that is that seems not doesn't work in the globalized giro i don't think anymore even though they try a bit to do it um, but I think, you know, I'm biased, but Italy is so geographically interesting, so politically interesting, so diverse, so visual. It's such a visual place. I mean, doesn't Italy have more artworks per head than anywhere else in the world and more kind of, I mean, it does, it just has more of that stuff. Um, even you, it's a classic, you know, go to some small town in Italy, there'll be some museum and it's got some unbelievable thing in it that in any other country would be the most amazing thing in the whole country and there's no one there because it just has that that incredible um uh patrimonio i can't think of the italian word and so that is that is also a, an exterior thing as well well john john foot telling us um a little bit there about what we can expect when we when we get to italy um assuming we get to italy okay nothing is guaranteed these days but fingers crossed we we get there okay later this week daniel um, most importantly, 
what kind of wine can we expect? Well, whatever year? we have, it's bound to be nice, Richard. Um, yeah. Oh, but yeah. While we are girovagando around the, the vineyards of Italy, um, we're also teaming up again this year with Divine Wines. Uh, Greg from Divine Wines, he was our loyal companion um, last year on our Giro, wasn't he? And Greg and I have put our heads together and we've come up with a cycling podcast case of Giro wines um six wines we're going to be revealing those on social media in the current um in the coming hours um uh, a selection which sort of covers the the roots we there's something from Puglia which is the southernmost point on the Giro this year and uh, we go east we go west there's um I think three three reds a couple of whites and uh Prosecco as well we've gone for but quite a special different Prosecco and um I'll also be chatting with Greg Rich um, in the next couple of days about how we came up with the selection and uh, just a bit about Italian wine um, generally. It's not not necessarily for everyone, but if you're interested in wine, interested in Italy and um, the connections between the wine and uh, the Giro, then by all means tune in to that. And Rich, we're going to have cases for all three Grand Tours and they're all going to go on sale in the next couple of, um, well, the next few days. There's going to be a, a tour um, case inspired by the tour route this year and a wealth case and a sort of best of grand tour 12 bottle case as well all from all available from divine wines in london the cyclingpodcast.com for that i'm glad to hear there are reds and whites in the in the case because they're two of my favorite <laughs> wines uh, reds and no, whites can never decide which scandalously is, which is my no favorite. pink wine for the giro no oh yeah that's, that's a good we've missed Why not? trick there haven't we you have a bit. You'll have some for the tour, I imagine. We're going to Von Two after all. No, I think I'd, I think I'd but. banned Rosé, if I remember rightly. <laughs> oh, God. Well, speaking of uh, con- controversies, um, it's time for Slow Radio. Um, missed it last week because I, I forgot. Did we um, really? Did we nice Did we really miss <laughs> it? <laughs> got some nice emails. Steve Hackett. Sorry, Steve, your, your, your submission hasn't made the cut this week. It's very competitive, but... I do like your email. You said, don't listen to the detractors. Slow radio is a wonder. Thanks for that, Steve. The The clip we are going to play is from Joel Macht from Whitehorse in Yukon. Not much or any pro cycling happens in Whitehorse, Yukon, Yukon, Canada. Although we are proud to claim former Canadian National Road Race champion Pan Am and Commonwealth Games medalist and track World Cup medalist Zachary Bell, the accompanying slow radio clip is a short segment of my daily, um, yes, some even commute in winter at minus 30, commute alongside the Yukon River, perhaps the most northerly slow radio clip you've received to date. And this is fantastic. This is exactly what slow radio should be about. Here we are being transported to minus 30 degrees um, alongside the banks of the Yukon River.
Thanks for that, Joel. And maybe we'll find uh, some time to play some slow radio clips during the Giro. Uh, maybe it'll depend what's happening in, in the race, but send them to contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. Maybe we'll try and uh, record some stuff our, ourselves. Who knows? Um, but I'm looking forward to the race as well, Daniel. Particularly intrigued by the point you made at the start about the De Kunic quick step in particular. You know, Masnada obviously in great form. Um, James Knox has been, you know, just outside the top 10 at the Vuelta, then 14th at the Giro. Um, and in a normal kind of career tra- trajectory, he'd be looking to take the next step maybe at this at this race. But he's going with Evanapol in his team um, and uh, Jao Almeida And you've got well. an interesting juxtaposition there, Rich, of uh, Remco, who has obviously tied his future, his very long-term future, to De Kooning Quickstep and Almeida, who allegedly, reportedly is on the move um, he will be leaving the team so we're led to believe at the end of the year and then of course there's the intrigue around Evan Pool and his form he hasn't raced since his crash um, at the Tour of Lombardy last year a long time ago remember of course he was going to be riding the Giro last year wasn't he but obviously missed that and he hasn't raced since then and uh, you know there's just a great mystery around his fitness and, and form um, What what will be his ambitions what kind of health is he in going into this race his first grand tour you know but um a guy who has just consistently surprised people with his performances since he turned pro so he's 21 now isn't he um evan Apple? not 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 getting any younger <laughs> it's about time for him to no but seriously i mean i i just i i don't know what to expect at all from him and it's one of the great um the great intrigues of this Giro, I think. We had Chiro's podium prediction. What's yours? We did. He was very definitive, wasn't he? Um, Well, I'll... I mean, I I, I didn't didn't disagree with that. I I mean, Simon Yates looks in terrific form, doesn't he? We didn't really talk about the Tour of the Alps last week, but that was the the pre-Giro showdown among a lot of the riders who will be going to the Giro, and he looked great. Uh, Obviously... Um, there, you know, he had his experience at the 2018 Giro where he looked like that and then collapsed with a few days to go. But he's he's older and more mature. Uh, he did go on and win the Vuelta that year, so I don't imagine he'd make the same mistake again. I'm I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot of of Matt White during the the Giro. I spoke to him on Saturday, and they're you know they're very um, I think very confident about Simon Yates. They have form been before, and, of course. Well, they have been before. They've got a pretty strong team around him, including Nick Schultz, um, who's kept a diary a couple of times for the podcast. And he, he's really come on a lot this year. We, I think he could be a really useful have your rider in the, in the mountains. Can I please just have your podium prediction? Oh, God. Okay, um, I think Remco Evanepoel will win. <laughs> no. Um, okay, I'll say Simon, Simon Yates, Pavel Sivakov. And I'm just going for something a bit different. Uh, um, Simon Yates... Pavel Sivakov and Remco Evenepoel. I'm going Ber- left field. Left I'm field. going Bernal, Yates, and Vlasov. Oh, Vlasov! Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout. Well, we'll see, won't we? Um, you know, yeah, you um, criticised me for picking Michael Matthews a few weeks ago as a as an outsider. So I'm really going for outsiders this time. Well, we'll see, won't we? Um, Daniel, one thing's for sure, if Lionel was here, he wouldn't be indulging yeah, in we this. We can speculate as much as we want on the Giro without Lionel there. We can speculate about yeah, everything. great. Well, you'll be speculating every day, it sounds like. 
In fact, wow, in fact, hostage to in fortune. Fact, I was wrong. I lied earlier. Girovagando doesn't mean wandering, strolling. It means speculation. It means speculating. Oh, Excellent. Three week, three weeks of it. Great. We'll bring it on, and uh, I'll see you in Turin on Friday. See you in Turin. Just before we go this week, a mention of two of our other shows. A new episode of Service Course was released last week. Reverse engineering is largely about aerodynamics, or more specifically about how to find the best position on the bike. It includes an interview with Dan Biggin, which is absolutely fascinating, and it's another must-listen episode. And coming later this week is the cycling podcast Femina, in which Rose Manley, Orla Shinoui, and I look back on the classic season. We've got a rider from each of the World Tour teams, plus Jumbo Visma, assessing their campaigns and giving themselves a mark out of 10. And there's an interview with Scotland's Anna Shackley, the 19-year-old, on SD Works. 